Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody here this morning. We um, finished up chapter 12 last week of John, and so today we are starting in John 13. We're going to cover the first 17 verses. So John 13, 1 through 17. Let me go ahead and read these verses for us. <clears throat> Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, You have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we... Uh, as we approach your word this morning, Father, we ask that uh, you send the Holy Spirit here for understanding. Father, as we uh, open the word today, we pray that the Holy Spirit himself will be our teacher. Father, give us eyes to see uh, truth and give us ears to hear. Father, and we pray that you'll use your word mightily today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we've already discussed, we've talked about uh, the role of disciples uh, and the rabbi. We've discussed that in, uh, in Jesus' times, uh, Jesus th- these times that we're studying, a rabbi's disciples, if you remember, basically act as his servants. However, even uh, the fact that uh, the disciples would act as his servants, they were never required to wash his feet. That task was reserved uh, for slaves. Okay, that was that was task was reserved for slaves, and even to, to take it a step further, even some slaves were even spared this task. If uh, within Israel, if a Jewish person had a Jewish slave, the owner was not allowed to require that Jewish slave to wash his feet. Only a Gentile slave could be required to wash the feet. So, the fact here that Jesus. Uh, 
himself took this on, this act of washing the disciples' feet. And, and during Holy Week, uh, makes the narrative uh, filled with theological and ethical meaning for us. And so we're going to build that out a little bit this morning. Uh, John tells us that this event took uh, place here in verse 1 before the feast of the Passover. So Jesus and his disciples had gathered for supper, we learn in verse 2. And as we, we talk about the, the events and the timelines, uh, one of the, the challenging problems sometimes we face when we uh, consider the relationship between John's gospel and the other synoptic gospels is with respect to the timing of uh, the events during Holy Week. Uh, our Dr. Sproul said, sometimes it seems as though there are two different calendars in view. Uh, one of the questions that comes up because of this is uh, whether this meal is indeed the Passover meal. I said the question that people have uh, discussed. And, and Dr. Sproul said, I don't think it was. I, I think this is uh, the evening meal before the actual Passover meal. Uh, but anyway, he says, we can, as far as the timing, he says, there's maybe some things that we're not exactly sure, but we can be sure that Jesus and his disciples have been gathered together on this time, uh, and, and they are uh, gathered together for a meal. We uh, can definitely be sure of that. So we're told in verse 1 that Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's very important as we start looking at these events here, this significant event of the foot washing or the feet washing, that it's uh, very important for us to understand that the washing of the disciples' feet was done in the shadow of the cross. Okay, looking forward to the cross. The cross is very close. Uh, John has frequently mentioned uh, Jesus' hour. We've talked about that many times. And it's clear now that that hour that has been so far, it's been in the future, is now at hand. Dr. Sproul pointed out we cannot understand the significance of the foot washing apart from its proximity to the crucifixion. Again, which was the act, the ultimate act of love on Jesus's part. So we also need to notice that John says that Jesus loved his own who were in the world. And he says to the end, he loved them. Now, when he says to the end, when he says he loved them, uh, he loved his own uh, and, and who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The meaning there, when he says uh, to the end, the meaning is to perfection. That's the meaning there. The meaning is uh, Jesus loved them with perfect love. It was the end of it. It was the perfection. It was, it was to the fullness. He did it perfectly. He loved his disciples. And just a few chapters, of course, we're going to be listening in to uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer that I know that all of you are familiar with. Now, if you remember, in that prayer, we'll study it in more detail soon, soon enough, but we get to hear Jesus say this statement when he's praying to the Father. He says, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. That's what he prayed for. Remember that. So Jesus is talking, John is telling us that Jesus loved his own who were in the world. And we hear later about Jesus praying for those that the Father had given him, not for the whole world. Now, as Jesus is preparing uh, to lay down his life, this, uh, he's, been, he's troubled in his soul, right, as he considers uh, what's about to happen. He's preparing to make atonement, not for the whole world. 
He's preparing to make atonement for his own. For the ones that the Father had given to him. In fact, if, if the atonement uh, on the cross was made for the whole world, then guess what? All would be saved. That's, that's reality, right? If the atonement was, was for the whole world, then all would be saved. But the scriptures make it clear that that is not so. And to add to that, uh, just to help build out this, we're not going to camp out here a long time, but to, to add to that, we believe that the atonement on the cross was actual payment. The work, the atonement of Christ on the cross was actual. It was not potential. It did not make salvation possible. He did not uh, put uh, payment uh, in, a, in an account, so to speak, that we could borrow from at a future date. No, it was actual payment for actual sins, for every sins of his own. In other words, it was he made atonement on the cross for the elect, not the whole world. That's what he did. Um, John goes on here in verses 2 and 4. It says, In supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, or having put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. So John is telling us that the stage has been set. Satan has prepared Judas uh, for this role as the betrayer of Jesus. And you remember, Judas has not been innocent. You remember, Judas, is he did what? What was one of his responsibilities? He carried the money bag, remember? And what did we learn earlier? That he frequently helped himself, right? So Judas has not been innocent up to this point. But now Satan has prepared him to betray Jesus. And John tells us Jesus is very much aware of what's going on. And he knows what Judas is about to do. So it's in this context that Jesus rose from the table and he took off his garments. Now, to, to put this in a modern perspective, uh, it helps, right, just to understand. It would be like a man's rising from dinner, taking off his suit coat, taking off his tie, taking off his shirt, taking off his T-shirt, taking off his pants, down to his undergarments, really. It says he put on a loincloth. In, in short, what's the imagery? Have you ever seen a picture uh, or a, a, a depiction of these kind of times of slaves? What did you... You usually saw them wearing very little clothing, right? They had something just around their middle. If it was a male servant, that was it. Well, that's what our Savior did. He laid aside all those outer garments. So what? What he took on the form of a slave. He made himself a slave, looked like a slave. He appeared, and then he performed an act that only a slave would be required to do. Now, if you remember when we studied the uh, the triumphal entry, remember that when kings usually come into town, they come in on powerful horses, right? Proclaiming victory and showing forth their power. But remember, Jesus chose instead a small donkey, a little one. Not Remember, the little ones where, where your feet, most men would have to pick their feet up. It was so little. It was awkward looking. It was very different than what you would think about, you know, as, as a king coming into town. He, he And what was the point? He came... 
very humbly into Jerusalem. He came very humbly. And so here as he's prepared to wash his disciples' feet, he is again behaving with great and extreme humility. So all along, as he's, a, he's, he's in the shadow of the cross, he's, his soul is troubled, he is, but he's embracing, uh, as, as he's facing the cross, he's embracing these symbols of humility. As he's facing the cross. Because of acts like this, like we've talked about, about Jesus' triumphal entry, this act, uh, this one in particular act of washing uh, the feet, uh, Paul paints a very vivid picture in Philippians 2. And this is one of my favorite sections of the New Testament. I absolutely love these verses from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. These are the words of Paul. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does Paul have in mind there? He's thinking about these kind of things, this foot washing, this humility, right? He's thinking about uh, what Jesus did. He made him, made, he took the form of a bondservant, made himself of no reputation. When you look at these verses, uh, so the liberal theologians of uh, of the twentieth century came here to these verses. And they looked at this passage that said, you know, it, what this is saying about Jesus is that uh, Jesus stripped himself of his deity when he came to earth. He, he, he laid aside all of his divine attributes. Sounds like uh, the words from a hymn that we like to sing. He remembers the verse three of the hymn, And Can It Be? Don't we love that hymn, And Can It Be? It's a wonderful hymn of the church. Wonderful hymn. Well, in verse 3, there is a phrase, and it reads this way, that he emptied himself of all but love. How many times have we heard that hymn? How many times have we sung that hymn? Many times, right? Did Christ empty himself? Did Did he set aside his divinity? Did he lose any part of being God when he came to earth? Well, the answer is no, he did not. He did not empty himself of everything but love. And thankfully, uh, we're talking about hymns now, right? Our, If you notice our hymn, hymn that we use, the Trinity hymnal, they took license and changed the words of that verse. Verse 3 in the Trinity hymnal says, replaced, emptied himself of all but love with these words, humbled himself, so great his love. That's a much better uh, phrase, isn't it? Much more accurate when it comes to the scriptures. 
Well, the uh, as, as as we're saying, this is uh, this this liberal theology. It's not true. That the in, in response to the liberal theologians of the 19th century, the great Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield said, "Absolutely not. That is not true uh, because the fact that God is what God is immutable. He used." That attribute of God. Then there could be others. But he said God cannot change. In other words, uh, he says Jesus could not have laid aside his deity when he took on human form. And he's right. Uh, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Nothing, nothing about Jesus stopped being God when he took on human flesh. What he, what he did, he, he did, he did not lay his deity aside. What he did lay aside was his dignity. He laid aside his dignity. He, he emptied himself of the glory that he enjoyed with the Father and with the Holy Spirit from all eternity. He did do that. And why did he do it? He did it for the sake of his people. He descended from glory, uh, came into this creation, this uh, world that he had made, uh, and he agreed to lay down his life. But when we look at this, section of scripture there is more for us to learn here than uh, the moral lesson of humility certainly that is present okay certainly here we are looking at the humility of christ but there's more there's there's actually more here um some let's let's create let's, let's fix some errors here first uh some have used this passage uh, to say that here Jesus is establishing the sacrament of foot washing. Now, now we reject that, obviously, right? We we agree there's only two sacraments, right? The baptism and the Lord's Supper. But what we know in the Roman Catholic Church, during the annual Mass of the Lord's Supper, the priest typically washes the feet of 12 men. In remembrance of of this, um, but this this using this passage to to say that this was uh, created a sacrament. There, there's no textual uh, support for this practice. That is, we reject that. That is not true. There is no sacrament of foot washing that we have to uh, practice today. But what we do know is that the, uh, one of the central significant meanings of Jesus washing the disciples' feet has to do with baptism. Okay, that's a significant piece of the meaning here, okay, is with baptism. Now, baptism signifies many things, right? And we know this. But at the very heart of the symbolism of baptism is the idea of cleansing, Right? It's central to the idea of baptism. It's cleansing. Uh, Dr. Sproul tells of a time that his his mentor, uh, Dr. Gerstner. Have any of you ever watched any videos of Dr. Gerstner teaching? Anybody ever seen John Gerstner? There are some videos of him teaching. Anybody seen some of the videos? If... You need, they're on YouTube, just go Google them, okay? And then, and then watch some of those videos and then compare it to the teaching style of R.C. Sproul. You will see a lot of similarities. You'll see a lot of similarities in the way Sproul in his classroom settings, you know, Sproul was, Sproul used to love the black, used the blackboard, you know, a lot of videos of him using the blackboard, Gershwin did the same thing. 
Um, his mannerisms were very similar because Dr. Sproul had watched Dr. Gerstner and his teaching style. His mannerisms, uh, there's a lot of similarities. But anyway, uh, Dr. Gerstner told of a time uh, years ago when he was invited uh, to go preach at a small country church. Maybe one very much like ours, right? A small, of course, I don't think we're a small country church. I think we're pretty big country church I think right now right uh, but 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 just think of a small country church 25 or 30 people maybe right on a Sunday morning so as he uh, he arrives and he he's talking with uh, the elders uh, the elder one of the elders came up to him and says hey we Dr. Gerson we're so glad you're here we're looking forward uh, to hearing your sermon he says but we forgot to tell you we are celebrating infant baptism today he says, and would you, would you actually perform the sacrament? Would you baptize this infant? And he, of course, says, sure, I'd be honored to do it, glad to do it. Absolutely, wonderful, be glad to do it. So they were going over uh, some of the, the parts of the service, and they said, well, Dr. Gerson is a part of our ritual here. He says, we have the officiating minister pin a white rose to the gown of the infant who was being baptized. And they said, uh, would you also do that during the sacrament? And so Dr. Gershner said, well, what's the significance of the white rose? And they answered, the elders said, it signifies the baby's innocence. Dr. Gerstner didn't meet, miss a beat. He replied, he said, oh, okay, I understand. He said, and then, so what's the significance of the water? Hmm. Very good point, right? Very, very good point. The elders thought for a minute and they said, well, maybe we shouldn't be using the white rose after all. <laughs> And I think they'd be right, wouldn't they? What do we know about the water as it's used in baptism? Water is a symbol, isn't it? It's a symbol of cleansing. And that symbol of cleansing directs our attention for us. It's back to the atonement, the atonement of Christ, where, whereby Christ, uh, through Christ's atonement, we are cleansed. We're, of course, we're not cleansed by the water. We're cleansed by the blood of Christ. But the water is a symbol, isn't it? It's a symbol of washing away sins. And so our baptism today points back in time to the event uh, that it's about to happen in our study of John. It's, it's right here on us, right? It's pointing back uh, to this event. And so uh, as, as the water is the symbol of cleansing, it, it directs our attention uh, back and back to that event by which we were made clean in the presence of God, not with water, right? We were made clean. Our sins have been removed. They have been covered uh, by the blood of Christ and we stand acceptable. In Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, we read, it says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Dr. Spruill used this in his commentary because he says this text in Isaiah captures the essence of what was accomplished by Christ on the cross. 
Our sin is crimson, but made white, white as wool, right? Is what uh, the words here that we find in Isaiah. Now, Christ, what we know on the cross, he, he took upon himself our, using that same imagery that Isaiah used, uh, took, on our, took on himself the crimson sin. And on the cross, Christ performed the ultimate act of cleansing. And now our baptism points back towards that. So in contrast, now back to our passages here in John, Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet is now looking forward, isn't it? It's looking forward to what's about to happen. Jesus clearly taught that it's tied to cleansing. And it's taught that it's tied to the cleansing that's about to take place. So we see that this act here, this amazing act of Jesus washing dirty disciples' feet, uh, was more than just an example of humility. Uh, it was more an exa- than an example of humility for them, and it's more of that uh, to us today. John goes on in verses uh, 5 through 11. It says, And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will, you will know after this. And then Peter said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and says, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, who, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. John explains, For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. We all love Peter, right? Peter... Um, is known to speak first and think later, right? We all know people like that. If it comes in the mind, it comes out the mouth, right? Uh, we love the boldness of Peter. Uh, we read over in Matthew uh, 16, you remember when Jesus spoke of his coming suffering and his death? You remember what Peter did? Peter took him aside, kind of off to the side, and Peter rebuked him, if you remember. Peter was trying to correct Jesus, and he said, "Far be it from Lord, uh, far be it from you, Lord, that this should ever happen to you." And you remember what Jesus said at that time? Pretty strong words. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now here, Peter kind of did the same thing, didn't he? He, he, he kind of did the same thing. He's uh, Jesus is about to to, to wash. His feet, he gets to Peter. So he's observing this, right? This is happening before him. Jesus gets to Peter. We don't know where he was in the sequence, right? We're not sure. Uh, Peter says, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. Absolutely not. I'm not going to let you. That's basically what Peter is saying. And notice, notice Jesus, Jesus didn't say, Simon, you foolish, rash person, right? He didn't. 
He, he didn't say something like I would say to like a stubborn kid, right? You just watch me. I'm going to wash your feet whether you like it or not. Right? Something I would say. That's what, that's what, that's, that's what that sounds like. Jesus didn't answer that way. Uh, Jesus replied by saying, if I do not wash you, then you have no part with me. So very quickly, it's, it's like Peter said in his mind, I messed up pretty bad. Right? And then his tune completely changed. Peter's tune changed. He said, well, then wash my hands, my head, whatever else. Wash my whole body, Jesus. That's what he was saying, right? If that's what, if, if I've got to be washed, I have a part, then wash everything. Wash it all. Dr. Sproul said, this, this meaning, this happening here, he says, we can, we can transfer the meaning to anyone hearing this message today. He says, if, if you have not been washed by Christ, then you have no part with Him. And that's, a, that's reality, isn't it? That is uh, a reality for us. We've already heard uh, and seen and we've observed Jesus make the point that he said, these are Jesus' words, unless you're willing to participate in my humiliation, you have no part in my exaltation. Jesus saying you can't have one without the other. That's basically what Jesus was saying. If our... Our very baptism, because we're, we're talking about baptism, is a sign. We, we know that. But it's, it's not only a sign of being raised with Christ. It's also a sign of us being buried with Christ. So those two are connected. We cannot separate them. Because that's the way God in His infinite wisdom has made the atonement possible. We To, to participate with Him, to join Him... In glory, which is what we all want, we have to join him in his humiliation. We have to be willing uh, to participate in his humiliation, even his death, so that we may join him in his glory. And you know, that's a big when you when we say that, because we're talking about this this instance, we're talking about humility. But when you think about participating in his death, what that, there's a lot there. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Of what what does that mean to participate? With him and his humiliation. Again, that's, there's a lot there, but 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 what when you look at it, I mean, one thing that I I think about is you know dying to self, right? We have to die to our own agendas. We're we're saying it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's a that's a dying to self, isn't it? Uh, again, we've been we've been talking about Jesus' his his attitude, his spirit. He was he was tr- greatly troubled over what was about to happen, but he voluntarily did it for the sake of those whom the Father had given him. If you are a believer, that's you. He did all these things for you. He was he performed great acts of humility. He he shows us what humility looks like. He will he was willing to suffer death on the cross to get take all the punishment, the judgment, the wrath of the Father on himself so that we would not have to. All these things. 
And he's telling us, you have to participate in my humiliation as well. That's something that we, again, we don't have time to really unpack that this morning. But that is a sobering thought to think about that every day of our lives. If we want, we all want to go to heaven with Jesus. Amen. Absolutely. We want to be there because we know what the alternative is. But we don't get there without living for him today and giving up ourselves and, and, and sacrificing ourselves for his agenda and not our own. Jesus tells, uh, Jesus goes on he, 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 after this uh, back and forth. And in verse 10, uh, Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Remember, so I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, wash my whole body, right? And, and Jesus saying, He who's bathed needs only to wash his feet. What, what's really going on here? Well, uh, in the ancient world, in this time, uh, when a person would, would take a bath, uh, he, he'd be clean, right? He or she would be clean, the body would be clean, until they walked outside, right? Because it's a dry, arid climate, dusty, a lot of places, right? Uh, they didn't wear shoes like we do. They didn't wear uh, socks like we do. So they wore open sandals. Some of them probably went barefooted, right? So what happens very quickly is that your feet get dirty. Your whole body can be clean, but your feet don't get dirty, Right? That's basically, that, that's the reality. And that's, that's why here this ritual of cleaning uh, the feet uh, is, is what was, was created because without even, you know, you don't have to take a whole bath, we're just going to clean your feet because that's really what gets dirty when you walk out, you know, in, among uh, the world here. And so when Jesus told Peter, when I wash you, I make you clean all over, basically is what Jesus is telling him. What's, what's Jesus trying to, to, to tell Peter? Jesus is saying, when I cleanse you from your sin, then you're clean all over. All over. Your whole body. Everything about you. Your soul is clean. When I cleanse you. Because what I do for you is more than just washing your feet. Right? What I'm about to do for you with the atonement is going to make you clean. All over. Inside and out. And then we have this warning from Jesus um, about the one who would betray him. Uh, in verse 10, it says, uh, you are clean, talking about Peter, he says, but not all of you. Now, when, he, when he's saying you are clean, he says, not all of you. Okay, it's a little bit of, you have to read it kind of carefully. What, it, what he means is, not every one of you present among the group here is clean. That's what, that's what he's saying. One of them has not been cleaned. Right? Jesus knew, as 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 we read earlier, as we studied earlier, he knew who would be uh, who would betray him. But guess what? He did he skip over Judas when he was doing the foot washing? Not not the, we don't have any reason that, that we assume that the the, the, narrative, the text he washed everybody's feet. He washed the disciples, is what it says, right? So it was all of them that was there. Judas was there, so Jesus washed. Judas's feet, even the feet of the one who would betray him. I know what would be going through my head as a fallen, sinful person. I, 
I wouldn't be very happy about washing Judah if I knew what was about to happen. It would be a completely different attitude in my heart, in my mind. Wouldn't it be in yours? How, how can I do this? How, I, it would be begrudgingly. It would be all the wrong. I mean, it just, I can't imagine all the things that would be going through my head. But Jesus washed his feet as well. So this, this, this warning, this, this cleansing he spoke of, Jesus offered the warning. It doesn't apply to all of y'all. There's one here who will not be cleansed. Here in verse, so in verse 12, he says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, he sat back down again. He said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? Do you know what I have done for you? And probably the honest response at this point in time was probably no. They really, remember the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. They really probably don't understand exactly what Jesus has done for them. But he's already said, right? He said, now you don't understand, but later you will. He's already said that there's going to be some, you're probably not going to get this, but later you will. You will get this. But but when you think about uh, this this interaction, what, what Jesus is doing here, it's a it's a very vivid picture that Jesus is painting here for his disciples. Okay, it's very it's very very vivid because what what did he just do? He's he's the rabbi. He's they're the 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 servants of his. He physically, okay, took on the form of a servant. Physically, in his dress, he he lowered himself. He humbled himself. He washed their dirty feet. He 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 left his position, didn't he? He, he came down. He lowered himself. And then, what does it say? He he afterwards he he put his he clothes back on. He sat down again. But he went back to his position, right, as rabbi. Do you see the? Similarities here? Something that Jesus is trying to show the disciples? He's, he's about to be humiliated and crucified. He's going to be stripped naked, basically. Nailed to a tree and crucified. He's going to be absolutely humiliated. He's going to lay his life down voluntarily. And then he's going to take it up again. Isn't he? He takes it up again sovereignly, and he returns where he said he already says he had come from the Father. He knows I'm going back. Jesus knows that. He said, "I, I have come down. I have condescended to here into this world. I've left my place of glory. I've come down. I've walked among. I've taken on human flesh. I'm doing things that they don't even can they can't even imagine. I've humbled myself." And it's about to get worse, but I'm going back to the Father. Praise the Lord. I'm going back. I'm going back to my rightful place. He's going to return to the place of eternal honor. That's, that's what we read those words of Paul, right? Because all these things Jesus done, what he said, the Father has given him the name which is above every name. So you see this in this, this, this act here. Uh, our Lord showed us humility, but He's pointing ahead, isn't He? He's pointing ahead. He, he, he came down, 
but he went back up to his place. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's going to the lowest of the lows, but he's not going to stay there. Praise the Lord. He's going to be exalted back to his rightful place. So he's he's showing us great humility. He's pointing ahead to the, the spiritual cleansing that he would bring. And he would he would set example of his own uh, servanthood. Um, and then he ends the, the last the, the verse here of this section. We can't look over it very quickly, right? Jesus in verse 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Knowing is one thing, Jesus says, but doing is another. That's a sobering statement from Jesus. We can... We can have intellectual assent. We can understand the doctrines of grace. We can pride ourselves in our own reformed theology. We can know all the right answers to the test questions. But it's another thing actually to do it. To live what? To live as Jesus gave us an example to live. It's another thing completely, isn't it? I believe we are out of time, so I'm going to finish right there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Father, we ask that you bless your word to our hearts and our minds, Father, our souls. Father, and as we leave this time of, of, of study, Father, as we gather not together for corporate worship, Father, together with the saints from all around the world, even the saints who have gone before us, who are in heaven before the throne room. Father, we pray that our worship will be acceptable before you. Father, we pray that our Hymns will be sung from a heart of gratitude and worship. Father, our prayers will be go unhindered into your throne room. Father, that the word, Father, as the word is opened this morning through your servant, Father, we ask that you bring it with power. Father, we ask that you use your word to change people today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.